Center podcast for miniature enthusiasts. Uh, today is uh, let's say what is today? Today is uh, Groundhog Day. Oh, Today's February second, Groundhog so Day. So tomorrow's awesome. going to be the same as today. We're coming over to do the podcast. If, today. if you pay attention to the the Bill Murray movie, yeah, so like, you have to. I mean, it's yeah, you know it's funny. Speaking of classic, I, I haven't watched it in a long time either. Um, I try to get my wife to watch Scrooge every Christmas, and uh, it never works. Like she can't get into it. Really? Um, and I love that movie. It's it's such a classic. But um, John's been here working the last couple of days, and he told me this recently, and I was blown away. He had never seen the Alien films. Like, yeah, he said he came home and was like, "Oh my god!" I flipped on him. I was like, "What are you? What are you, are you doing? Like recently?" Yeah. He's like, "No, never." And don't, uh, get, don't get into it. So we live with a guy, and there's so many things he has not seen. And yeah, it was a little me. Crazy. It just makes me feel old. Right. Yeah, that was the so, same. Because I was, I was asking him, I was like, well, you've seen Star Wars, right? And he's like, well, of course. And I was like, but that was made around the same time Alien yeah. was made. I was like, why did you pick... Actually, Alien was a little bit later, I think. It was 79, I think, was the yeah. first one. And Star yeah. Wars was 77, Empire was yeah. 80, and then... Uh, well, they kind of were going Right, Empire, but, but the point still, is, is that he's been watching movies from that era. One. Yeah. Uh, and they're getting... Yeah, I, I agree. So much, anyway, so, so when he was sitting here painting the last couple of days, we turned those on and I forced him to watch them. And he is thankfully enjoying them. So, <laughs> um, but should, I, should go after the Gremlin series. After, after you know, I can't get, I couldn't get into Gremlins. Like, they're, it's a little too gory for me. It's a little too gory. Yeah. If you watch, have you rewatched the first one recently? Like, rewatch it as an adult because, like, there's a scene where, like, this mom is in a kitchen with Gremlins and, like, she stabs one to death, she puts one in a blender. She puts one in a microwave. It's like this one five-minute scene. It's like, huh? she's crazy. And she's their mom. Like, she cooks them eggs. And she also kills... It's just nuts. Um, anyway. But yeah, it just blew me away. I rewatched it as an adult and was just, like, horrified by this movie. I was like, I can't believe that as a kid I thought this was funny. Like, this is grisly. Like, there's a scene later on where one of the gremlins gets a gun and he's shooting at people. Oh, yeah. Like, in the 80s, everyone had guns. Like, every movie, people had guns. It was smoking, uh, bad denim, and guns. Yeah. All, like, all of them. Uh, we recently rewatched Predator 2. We're going to get on the podcast here in a second. Yeah. But we recently <laughs> watched Predator 2 again. Maybe. Why, Let's make this a uh, movie, this, this movie, movie podcast. <laughs> Uh, we recently rewatched Predator 2, and I was blown away by how ridiculous it was and how much I loved it. Like, every stereotype you can imagine was there, and it was absolutely fantastic. I don't remember Predator 2 that much. You should watch it. I remember the first one. Yeah. I think I enjoyed that pretty much. I mean, the second one is such, a, is such an 80s classic because they were just like, let's take what worked in the first one and put him in a city and put, like, a really tough cop who breaks the rules, and he'll hunt him down, but the Predator is killing gang members for good. And I was like, yes, that's the movie they made. And I think I'd rather rewatch oh, Fury again. I love it. Uh, anyway, regardless Have of you much, seen Fury? I have, yeah. It's got us. Yeah, it's, uh, again, another... Okay, well, this is actually a podcast about miniatures, not actually about movies, so we're going to talk about miniatures now. So the big question of the day... Uh, is um, we've got a special guest coming to town today, and we're we're looking at some expansion, so we're looking at growing our operation a little bit. And uh, the first question is where to go. Um, so essentially, we've been touring a few properties. We have one that we really like in mind. Um, it's 
big enough to hold us for sure. Yeah. With that size comes a, comes a price tag. And so we're sort of evaluating from all quarters whether or not it's the time to grow. Uh, for me, we've been running back and forth between two houses and trying to make everything work. And so it, it feels like a, a company that's kind of spread out too thinly. Mm-hmm. So this is an exciting time, but it also could be, uh, if this goes... Potentially it, dangerous. Potentially critical. Careful. I mean, essentially, it could, could be very, very bad, which is why we're taking a lot of time to analyze it. Um, but that, that could be in the future. We could become like the next mini wargaming East or something like that. I think that's what I would like or to see. Southeast. Yeah, or Southeast. So then, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I haven't thought about the lateral. Take that <laughs> <more again. laughs> Well, considering like how much Dennis talked about how much he liked that trip there, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for, um, for creating that kind of environment where people can come and play, yeah. buy models, or yeah. whatever. There's a good enough space between us. It's not like it's in any way competing. No. We're like 1,200 no. miles from them. So no, not at all. I wouldn't even consider it competition because we're they concentrated when they went from a retail, they went fully to just basically a dedicated closed off elite gaming club. That's in essence what they're doing right now, but that's not where why metal is going to be going in any case. So no. there's still there's a huge difference in what's going to be. I agree, their, their product is media, what they yeah. produce is yeah, content. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's something that we would like to do, but not that's not our bread and butter. No, bread and butter that's not our focus. Right, so. exactly. Uh, anyway, so that's that's the question of the day. Um, recently, we've also been looking at new profit avenues and streams. We've been casting um, everything. We bought a bunch of Herstarts models. We've been casting those up. We're about to get started selling those. So you'll be able to buy Herstarts products through us. We'll start incorporating those more into some of our products. Um, and on top of that, we also just cast up a set of expanding foam hills that we'll be putting up as a test test market on eBay, so if you have some terrain needs, like one of the things we talked about in the New Year's podcast was the things we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud to say that everything we started to talk about, we've already seen the ball rolling on. We talked about terrain, we talked about casting, talked about moving into a new space. So yeah. it's been a busy been first fast, yeah. four weeks. I mean, so we're making good on our promises, but we'll see how all of this plays out, whether or not it is economical, price conscious, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that comes on the tail end of, um, I would say that January is... If not the busiest month ever, one of the busiest months we've ever had. I'm so yeah. glad this month is done. Right. I'm so <laughs> you, you, you have to be. I know you guys are exhausted. So we went from like no, we went from you know a regular month, a slow month in January or November, December, to the complete polar opposite of that. Yeah. Like, I'm probably I'm kind of treating it like a quarter. Actually, yeah. we went into a, a normal operating month in November. Mm-hmm. December slowed down like Very slow. what, like yeah. thirty down to maybe 30 percent mm-hmm. of what our general operation is. And then January on the tail end of it, it just blew up. See, what's funny is it, it feels like that. We actually cut about, we cut our income by about 50% in December. We went from about what we make to half of that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge amount. Like yeah. if you think about any business that loses 50% of their, their income in a month, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but then you think about places like theme parks or whatever that do have seasonal income. And you don't think about miniatures being seasonal, but they kind of are. I, I never really thought it would be. Yeah, I, I never thought of it like that. But in any case, uh, it's we're basically just trying to get into our normal operating yeah. workflow. So just well, um, so today on the podcast we're going to be talking about uh, dragons. That's our focus for today. We're going to be hey, talking about dragons. why we love them, how to paint them, things we like about them. But before we get into all that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll jump back in with on the paint desk right after this. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. 
make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? Black Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store, and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees. There's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. We're going to jump in on the painting desk. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about what projects are on our desk, and um, we don't really need to talk about really what's coming up per se, but maybe we can give some brief glimpses into, into the month ahead, because you guys have just come off of a huge month. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is, what's left on your painting desk, or what things have recently come off you want to talk nothing. about? Nothing. <laughs> nothing is left on our desk, thankfully. Yeah, that's good. Finalize everything. Um, I mean, what do you just finished? I mean, I, a bunch of projects, but the biggest of which would be Twilight Sisters. Sure. So this was, I, I believe we talked about the last podcast, but this is a custom recreation of the Twilight Sisters from the Wood Elf range in Warhammer Fantasy. Well, that's a model that probably has not been updated in, I'm going to go with 20 years? And probably never will. I remember when I just got into just the gaming, it was around 2nd edition, okay. 40k, that means that was about, what, like 6th edition Fantasy, maybe going into 7th. 2nd um, edition 40k was in the late 90s. Early 90s. Yeah, okay. Early 90s. So actually mid, mid-90s. That early right. mid-90s. So that, I think that's about like so that would put her seven. around at least twenty two years old minimum. The that's... Twilight Sisters, the Wood Elf Dragon mm-hmm. that was used for the Twilight Sisters was already out. Sure. So at least the dragon itself, I'm not sure about the characters, but the dragon at least is over twenty two years old. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it was a, it was a, I think it was an eye catching model in its time. I yeah. think that part of the challenge that GW faced back then was fitting a large model on a square base that could be ranked up for mm-hmm. for a, a cavalry, or not a cavalry style, a rank and file style game. Mm-hmm. So I think that the snake-like Chinese style dragon design was partially uh, a, a, a physical solution to that dilemma. How do we pose these That's probably really very thin, too. Yeah. Because it couldn't, they couldn't really dump that much. And you think about casting out. weight and how much they were going to charge. and It all makes sense. But it led to this aesthetic that really no longer exists. Their modern dragons don't look like that at all. Um, so it's, a, it's an older kit. It's outdated. And in this particular case, the client wanted you guys to update that. So mm-hmm. you did that by kit bashing um, a... Um, which was the... We used the, the Carmine. Forge World uh, Carmine Dragon, which is a beautiful sculpt. But unfortunately, me personally, I have a, I have a very vivid, very strict aesthetic on dragons coming out from D and D. Now there's a, there's a vision that I have, and I always hated the little wings that they gave those models. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Forge World team, uh, they have a number of dragons, sure. and all of them have these little flipping chicken wings mm-hmm. for wings. Uh, so what we did, uh, which could probably sound insane. We used the Carmen Dragon for the body. Mm-hmm. We used the new plastic Archeon uh, wings from the Tiamat. That's the right. three-headed, three-headed beast. Uh, and then we basically just did a blend with uh, sculpting, rebuilding some of the musculature, rebuilding the scales. I uh, did the blend up, so the wings are actually huge in that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the modern aesthetic dragon, when you look at stuff like... Um, um, 
shoot, I'm blanking on it right now. The HBO show, God, Game of Thrones. Um, the dragon wings on those are, are, I think, barely appropriate. Like they're mm-hmm. they're huge. They're yeah. almost the size of their body, and they're they're. Well, easily... they have to. They have to be. If you think about right. it from the standpoint of how is that, they have to be able to live that mass. I mean, so these wings are more like anatomically correct in terms yeah, of size. They're proportionally correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a it's a stunning looking model. Like the the stance and the, just the, the breadth of the wings are really nice. The base you guys did is really really eye catching. On top of that, there's versatility in that the sisters are magnetized to the dragon, can be moved to their eagle mount, yeah. which um, the original model did not allow. I think even though the rules were there for mm-hmm. that they could uh, fly, that they could be mounted on, on an eagle. Yeah, GW never made a model for it for some reason. But. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this is that um, the, we, we still have a pretty loyal client base that still follows 8th edition or 9th edition, or depending on how yeah. you look at it. Yeah. So he's still building his army along those lines. Like, he's not giving up yet. In fact, he's commissioning new models along those lines, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic, I think, that there's still mm-hmm. people out there that I are think dedicated. there are going to be more dragons. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, well, that's true. We're yes. going to be basically doing more dragons with yeah. clients. I mean, that's the beauty of that is that when they have, like, you don't think about this, but when you have summoning spells, if you're summoning monsters, you need to have the monsters. Yeah. You know, 40K has got into a huge summoning war these days. Everybody can summon. Oh, with the demons? Oh, my yeah, God. Well, everybody. Not only that, too, but, like, other stuff. Like, essentially, any army can be a horde army if you really want it to mm-hmm. be, depending on how you build it. Um, but, yeah, with that, you have Yay to for about, battle company formation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so you guys cleared that figure off. You've also recently finished up a bunch of Space Wolves from different clients, yeah. all at higher levels, all at Electrum and above, or at mm-hmm. least modest to high levels. Um, you did some custom conversions with the KF bits that we're, we're selling. Yep. Uh, so that was a really nice way to blend those out together. I was really pleased with that. Um, and then we had some re... We had some clients come back to us for some stuff, like with a Tau client from last quarter. He came yeah. back. Yeah, we did the second, update, the second batch for his army. Yeah. So really, it's more about you, you polished off your old commissions, we're moving on to the new stuff. Do you guys want to give any previews of what you're planning to work on in the coming month? Any like excitement? Any projects you're looking forward to? I'm going to say only, I'm going to be a bit of a tease. We're going to be doing a high-level uh, Imperial Knight, uh, the Forge Wall Knight, the Serastus, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The Lancer. So that's going to be, I think I'd like to just leave it at that. Okay, great. So, what about you, Philip? Anything you're particularly looking forward to this month? Um, I'm not sure. There's a lot of good projects. I think the uh, the Fate Weaver is what I'm yeah, excited about. Yeah, that's true. Fate Weaver comes out literally two days from now, mm-hmm. and we have a we have one pre order for it. So we've got literally two of them are incoming. Yep. Um, so we'll be painting those up. Um, basically soon. Very, yes. very, very soon. Wait. So we don't want to give away too many details, but we will. We're hoping to be the first kid on the block with that. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. It would be hard for some. Someone would have to be painting it right now to beat us to the punch. Yeah. Which is possible, I think, for sure. But yeah. Um, well, for me, um, this month has been like for somehow it's been kind of a resurgence in orcs. We got one client that booked forty tank busts, which is eight boxes. <laughs> uh, he also booked a custom war a knob boss on war bike. Another client booked a Mack truck to do like a, a redo of the war rig when we did the Mad Max project. Oh, yeah. She liked the war rig, so she's like she wanted to basically budget out another one. Um, so a lot of orc projects this month. We have a Reaver Titan on our desk that we're going to refurbish. We're going to finish that up for a client. Yay, the James. Magnus the Red project uh, prompted another client to buy another Magnus. Nice. So that was nice. That worked out really, really well. 
Um, and then on top of that, the, we have a lot of privateer press this month. Uh, you guys are working on another extension of a, a Convergence Osiris project we did. Mm-hmm. Same client booked out some um, Crix models. So he, I'm going to be working on those personally. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, he's expanding his collection a lot. Um, yeah, for a full, new full-fledged army. Right? Yeah, I don't know. And he's adding some mercenaries to it, which I think is an interesting. I've always seen the pirate mercenaries from mm-hmm. Privateer, but I've never had a chance to work on them. Okay. So that's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of new stuff coming across our desk. Um, and, and, you know, I like that. I, I don't like dipping into the same water pot all the time. I mm-hmm. want to try something new. Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean we aren't still taking bookings. We are always looking to move forward. So if you're interested in contacting us about a potential commission, do so at info at whitemetalgames.com. Let us know what you're interested in. We're currently booking for very, very late March, early April. Um, so uh, now's the time to go ahead and get going on that. Um, as our queue fills, um, all you have to do is lay down 25% to get in the queue, and then your, your spot in line is held. You can go do other stuff while you're waiting for your turn in line to come up. So it's never too early, basically. All right, well, we're going to take some Black Templars with Sisters of Battle and a little bit of Death Watch. Are you saying that's what you'd like to paint? Come on, somebody's got to be out here. Listeners, come on. We want to paint some Death Watch. I am a really big fan of the Black Templars aesthetic. Like, I would really love to do one of those armies. I just think they're really fun. Like, I like the knight's look to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, I love them in a way that you could, well, if you're careful, you can do well. Using the old Empire plastic plastic bits, yeah, and bits that's true. That creates such a cool aesthetic. So, yeah, I've seen some really fun like castles on wheels that people have done with like they'll take the rhinos and they'll load them up with so many different like kind of like the Sisters of Battle tanks, mm-hmm. how they almost look like shrines that drive yeah. around. They're you know the Dark Angels are kind of getting in that motif too. Their new flyers look like flying cathedrals. I don't like that. It well, looks a little bit tacky to me. Love it or hate it, I'm a fan. Like I like it quite a bit, but but I, I understand your opinion on it. Okay, well we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming Magnus the Red uh, deadline that's coming up very very soon, and we'll be right back after this. Are you a tabletop quality painter in the Raleigh area with ten hours or more a week to spare? Have you ever thought about becoming a commission painter before, but you weren't sure it was right for you? White Metal Games is looking for talented painters in the Raleigh area to join our studio team. You're paid by the job, not by the hour, so you can paint at your own pace. Send us pictures of your painted models to info at whitemetalgames.com, and we just might be interested in speaking with you. Put your minis where your mouth is. We're going to jump into Service Spotlights. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming Magnus the Red contest deadline. We've gone over the contest on previous podcasts in a lot of detail. I will say that um, the contest is set to wrap up on February 15th, so it's about two weeks from today, a little bit less. Uh, most of the entries, I think, are in. I think the people that were, were interested in entering have entered, and we've gotten uh, almost 700 entries so far. Seven hundred. Yeah, quite a bit. Oh, so, yeah. Now, my original target was I said I'd be satisfied at five, and we're very well over that. Um, so we're definitely very excited about the standing, but there is still time to enter if you're interested. Go to whitemetalgames.com slash contests and um, check a look at the Minus the Red contest there. You can find out more about it. And you can uh, essentially sign up to win a free Magnus the Red. You just have to click on the terms and conditions. It will sign you up for our newsletter, uh, but you can later unsubscribe if you do not want to get newsletters from us. But for the sake of argument, you do have to sign up at least initially. Um, okay, well, that's about it on that. So just check it out. Expires on February 15th. We will announce a winner after that. Uh, probably not on the 15th, probably a day or two later, but that's when we'll stop accepting death entries. So uh, you have until then. We've got about two weeks. Magnus the Red painted. That's about it. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, actually, we don't, that seems silly to take a quick break right after that. Let's just keep rolling. No, right. uh, okay, so we're going to jump into leftovers now. Um, so leftovers is a segment we introduced last time to talk about leftover models, and I want to talk about drones. So we've, Tau drones. <laughs> we've done so many Tau projects this if year. If you have Tau drones laying around uh, that you cannot absolutely find anything to do with, Send them to us. We'll take for sure. Over. For sure. So and now we can talk about the fact of how many we have already. So every time you do a towel box, you get drones are everywhere. Drones yeah. are just they're like they're a part of another part of the unit. They're the, the Gretchen of, of, of towel or whatever. Uh, they're just they're everywhere. So inevitably, what happens is when you buy a box set for a, for a client, if we buy an army or whatever, the client may not want to have us pay to paint the, the drone, so we keep the drones. Yeah. So what happens is we are flush with drones, and we've seen a bunch of people doing drone armies where they'll essentially count drones as Tau. Instead they'll do, of fire warriors. Right. The they'll do big drones for broadsides. They'll yeah. do smaller drones for, for crisis suits. They'll do massive drones for the, for the riptides. I'd love to do a, a drone yeah. for the storm surge. Oh, that'd be that killer, right? Sweet. Yeah. So essentially, like that's what we'd love to see. We'd love to see someone commission a drone army. We'll give you a discount on the materials because we have them. Um, obviously, some of the bigger models we'll actually have to, you know, we'll have to buy new kits for. We can't do it with everything. But we've seen some really cool stuff out there. So if anyone has seen this drone army, just Google drone army towel. Take a look. If this is the kind of project you'd like to put together, it's the kind of project we'd like to put together. Um, and I'd love to see that get done. Um, in addition to that, we mentioned last time on the show we have a bunch of cold ones out there. Um, this is just basically these are the Saurus Riders for the Lizardmen Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about this. We could actually repurpose these as Exodites for the Eldar, uh, which is the dinosaur-riding Eldar army that um, it's kind of a cult fan favorite. They're kind of, you know, there's, I would say they're probably up there with squats in terms of cult mm-hmm. favorites. Um, I'm a huge fan. I love the look of it. It kind of reminds me of like, um, there was a show in the 80s, a cartoon where these guys got crashed on a world and they had lasers. And so they hooked up lasers to the dinosaurs. Oh my God. I remember remember that. that? (laughs) It was such a hit, man. Like they had all these, it was Dino Wars or something like that. Yeah. And, And they had like the bad guys were like, and on carnivores and shit. Yeah, yeah they, were they, they, they were on carnivores. The good guys were the uh, dri- driving or riding on the herbivores. It was right. something like yeah, that. That's exactly the right. T Rex was the main villain. Right. You know, the usual eighties cliche. Oh my um, god, it was so bad. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but looking back, I mean, I think that that is basically fun. It is there's fun to be had there, and I think with the Exodite project, when you think about like instead of like a predator tank what's a, what's a good Eldar tank um, I don't know like Wave Serpent sure Wave Serpent like have them riding around on like a Bastilodon instead on. yeah a Stegodon <laughs> or something how fun is that I love it <laughs> now I don't laser, know how... laser unicorns yeah I mean how do you there's a lot of stuff that you have to like really get kitschy with to justify like how do you justify a fast Stegodon you know it's tough right. um, you can always you know, take a part of the exhaust and right. stick it up under the yeah. tail I think, you have to, I think you just have to build your army list around what you've got versus yeah. what you you know um, pick more static models I than think there is models. an ability even if uh, you're building it around the meta there should, there's a way to work around it well, you think about like, it work. like the carnosaurs those guys are probably very very fast like in terms of like, if you think about, um, uh, this is really getting a little, really, uh, a really little, what do you call it, uh, breaking it down. But like when you think about like 
I don't know, a, a Velociraptor probably ran at like 60 miles an hour. Well, that's okay. at least motorcycle speed, like on a battlefield or something. Right. They were super fast. And then you think about extending that to larger dinosaurs, like a Carnosaur, which is essentially like a small T-Rex, basically. Yeah. Or it's almost around the right size for a T-Rex, I would say. Well, that guy probably ran pretty fast, too. Okay. <laughs> like, um, so you extend that. That'd be an expensive project, but a lot of fun, I think. Um, so it depends if we have a client out there with deep pockets I'd love to put that army together it'd be a lot of fun yeah, love expanding, man. all right well we're going to take a, a quick break and we're going to jump back in with tips on technique and we're going to talk about dragons right after this hey guys it's Caleb with War Council are you a purveyor of stuff are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to like at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're at like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial. Like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info.ymanogames.com for more information. And until you do, put your minis where your mouth is. Okay, we're going to dip into tonight's podcast topic, which is uh, Here There Be Dragons. And um, essentially, dragons are a intrinsic part of our hobby they exist both in fantasy meta and sci-fi uh, we see them in rpg clients war game clients um, they're they're really such a fascinating part of our culture they always have been and the gaming world obviously uses them to great effect we see them in lots of different ranges so we want to just talk a little bit about not only why we love them um, but but our favorite modern day sculpts of them and uh, how we paint them tips on tips for for working with them that kind of thing um, so I guess I would start with the question, like, like, and this is probably an obvious answer, but like, why are they such an iconic part of our culture? Like, why do we gravitate towards those, but we don't have like, um, I don't know, like, um, I don't know, they're just such an iconic creature. Like, why is that a more prevalent part of our armies than like, let's say monsters in Greek folklore, which were arguably as big a part of their mythology as dragons were of like English mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see like armies full of like, chimeras i mean yes they exist in these worlds but they're not as prevalent i think i could actually might have an answer for you the okay. popularization of the fantasy creatures taken from folklore uh christian folklore like the dragons sure. uh, was back in the turn of the last century with Tolkien's smog basically sure. and then plus that laid down the foundation on the old english folk uh well not really yeah, they don't, England doesn't really have a mythology. It's more of a folklore. Um, and the then Gary Gygax kind of blew the whole thing out, basing yeah. his uh, vision of this fantasy world based on Tolkien's foundation of Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and all that, all those books. And that kind of just made the kick to the uh, to the pop culture. That's why the Greek mythology was always more of a or, uh, how would I say it? I guess more of this classic kind of uh, university setting. Uh, I feel for, right. for academics. No, sure. For more of an academic appreciation, not in the pop culture, not in that way. But I imagine in Greek, like this is, I don't know, but I imagine in Greek culture back in the day when they would tell stories of like 
you know, Perseus or like a, a, some oh, hero right. doing some, you know, right. a legendary thing. Like there, was always, there was always a figure, or there was always a large monster that epitome, that enveloped and characterized the embodiment of, of evil. But so. they're not as popular as, let's say, like Scylla or Charybdis, for example, is not as popular as like dragons in folklore. They're just not. Like not, we don't, we don't it, play it, with Scylla toys or right, Charybdis but, toys, but we play with dragon toys. Right, but that's, that's why, that's why mm-hmm. the, cre- that's how the popularization in the Western culture sure. became based on the D&D. So you think based on the popularity of like the nonfiction, like with like yeah. Tolkien and then, yeah. on, then on the back of Eastern guy, culture, guys. like uh, China and stuff, isn't like dragon been part of their culture? Oh, it is vital. Years. It is a vital part. And if you look at their, uh, at their popular media, like let's say with games and such, that's actually a, good a lot of them. A lot of those are, are incorporated. But there is again always a difference that in the Western culture, dragons did um, uh, embody evil, whereas in the Eastern culture, the dragons are more embodying Forces the wisdom, of nature, of nature yeah. more of a neutral element. I guess so. Like my point was more of where, if we're asking where it derived from, like there's a lot of time between like the last few hundred years, like both cultures were, I guess, talking yeah, about dragons and yeah. had that involved in their culture and everything. Like, did it spawn from one particular area or did it like, did multiple cultures kind of develop this themselves? Like, it's it's a fair question. Like I mean, but I would say that like, we don't generally see a lot. Of, and then maybe this is a Western culture thing. And to be fair, I've never been, I've been in China for like four hours in a layover in an airport. So I didn't have time to sit there and like see whether or not, you know, their Michael's China has Chinese dragons instead of English dragons or whatever. But um, I, I don't. I, at, a, at a guess, I have no idea whether or not dragons are as popular in social media in media in China as they are in in here. Yeah. Like I don't know if they. I don't know. I'm not for sure. I Although it's on par. I would say probably. Yeah. Um, although I do, I, I see there was a game I played a while ago that was, it doesn't really matter. I see it more in their culture than, let's say, in cultures that don't have that. Like, yeah. I think that dragons are a part of their, their media base, like you said in video games, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of, like, Gygax, this is actually leading me to my next point, that we have this interesting conundrum that comes up with clients quite a bit, where they are D&D players, right? Mm-hmm. And they, um, uh, so Gygax established an aesthetic um, or Dungeons and Dragons did IP yeah. right the IP they established they established an aesthetic of what these dragons look like now that that has changed over the years but yeah. in general you can look at a and d picture of like let's say a blue dragon or a green dragon I'll use them as an example because they yeah. have like a big sail on their head kind of going down their spine yeah. and it's an aesthetic that is commonly associated and it's like essentially this is this is what a green dragon looks like this is what a blue dragon looks like it's not just about the color of their skin yeah. when Pathfinder came out they changed that a little bit they don't they don't copy the IP from, from Wizards of the Coast they do their own thing the thing is is that D&D clients associate that exact dragon with that exact look yeah. and it brings me to my next point is that clients oftentimes will only we have one particular client has been asking us to do a blue dragon for a while no one builds a model that looks like the blue dragon that he envisions in his mind except for wizards of the coast so the only way to do it is to either repaint one of their dragons or to find something that's similar and then rework it Um, now i don't agree that they have to all look the same but the problem is i'm not my client my clients are my client and this is this has happened often enough that i know it's a thing like these guys get really attached to Silver dragons look like this. Blue dragons look like this. Red dragons look like this. I can't take the any generic dragon 
and paint just it, paint it, paint and it call green it, and call it a green dragon. dragon. They won't accept it. It will not sell <laughs> as a product. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm waving my I'm actually nodding my hand all the time. Yeah. was speaking because I uh, my dad got a book on D and D on advanced Dungeons and Dragons. There was a beautiful tome called the Monster Manual, sure. which had all these dragons laid out. Which sure. was one of the favorite books for me. So I know these things. I I can identify with that client right off the bat. See, but I take the other way because I play D and D weekly with friends, and while while I certainly do get the D and D aesthetic, I think there has to be a neutral compromise for the fact that Why? you're not well because of the fact that otherwise. Well, here's the thing. That guy who's looking for that blue dragon, he's never going to find it. Like, Wizards of the Coast is never going to put out an unpainted blue dragon at that at that scale that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. Like, they did, like, their range of, like, let's say gargantuans. We'll use that as an example. Okay. D&D put out a range of gargantuan pre-painted plastic miniatures a few years ago. They did one for, they started with, like, black. Mm-hmm. I think they did red. They kind of did a white because they did one for the Dritz set. Mm-hmm. And then they did um, uh, blue very late, I think, in the series or maybe early. But they didn't do a green. So they essentially decided this is a non-profitable product. We're not going to do it, so we mm-hmm. can do a green. Okay. So no one will ever be able to buy a gargantuan green dragon from Wizards of the Coast pre-painted. Now, Pathfinder does put out a gargantuan green dragon, but it doesn't look like the D&D gargantuan green dragon. So that means the client's options are... Use the Pathfinder dragon that doesn't match their aesthetic. Which is basically, yeah. Or have us paint a dragon that's similar to a D&D dragon that's not exactly the same. Which seems like two realities that they don't want. But those are their two options. Or they can be reasonable and have us find something that's a great looking dragon and paint it green. Or there is a complete, uh, absolutely unreasonable solution that you're not uh, talking about, which is... Have us converted and sculpt one. It's gonna be it's gonna be expensive, extremely expensive. expensive. But hey, fans of D and D, you're gonna get your green dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while we're talking about D and D dragons, why don't we talk a little bit about the 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 copper dragon project you guys just Mm -hmm. did? Okay. So um, to kind of catch people up, speaking about repaints, we did a dragon project recently where it was a, a basically this guy wanted us he wanted a in his campaign, one of the big bad fights at the end of the campaign is a copper dragon. So he wanted a huge copper dragon that looked like the D&D copper dragon. Mm-hmm. And we faced the conundrum of he wanted something that looked exactly like the D&D copper dragon aesthetic. So what we found was we, we basically bought a, a, a pre-painted, poorly painted attack wing dragon of the right scale and then repainted it. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's a cro- uh, not a chromatic, because it's a metallic dragon, he wanted it to not only look metallic, but he wanted us to use metallics. Yeah, His original idea was to use incandescents, which are color-shifting paints, but we talked him into just doing true metallic metal. Yeah. So why don't you guys talk about that project a little bit? Because we rarely, you know, people rarely think about the merits of true metallic metal. They're always like, it seems like there was a trend a few years ago that was pushing non-metallic metal. Oh, that's been already outdated. That's in the, yeah. that's the beginning of the century, man. That's like old school. <laughs> but this was a beautiful project that the true metallic metal you guys did a great job with and on top of that you could work in some really nice shading with like patina like color yeah. to show oxidation and stuff it was just it ended up being a beautiful model so why don't you guys talk about that a little bit well uh we the client did actually want the like you said the incandescence but it just i don't know it just didn't make sense to me the way the paint just the way the property of the paint itself it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't uh so just to be clear, when we talk about incandescent, a good example of this would be like 
when you see like um, a, a beetle that has color shifting. Yeah, yeah you're looking at one angle, yeah. you're, the highlight is going to be one color, you're right. shifting angles. Scarab beetles are a good example of this, okay. in some cases. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, the what shifts is the color of the highlight from an angle that you're viewing it. Sure. That's what it is. That's right. the only thing it does. So with the copper dragon, it doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. What made, did make sense is just to imitate copper as a metallic property and do it instead of just slapping copper paint and trying to highlight it up to like, I don't know. Well, just treat it as a true metallic. So modulate the form, modulate the shape definition mm -hmm. with a metallic base and then reshift it a little bit with yeah. glazes and make, make it pop. I mean, and did work. We were able to come very close to the actual image, which is from that compendium Muslim manual of the AD&D. AD and and yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of color in it. You don't think about it, but when you actually yeah. dissect the picture yeah. quite a bit, one of the, for example, one of the things he said was on the underbelly, it's supposed to be kind of white. Yeah. But as we looked at the picture, we found that it was hardly just white. There's a lot of color worked in there, reds and blues. And, yeah. and there's a lot of rich colors there to be worked out. So you got a lot of chromatic variation, which I loved. I thought it was great. It was a rich model. It wasn't flat. It was just, it yeah. was just beautiful. It really worked out well. The way, the way it came painted, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I understand, I understand you, have, you know, mass production and such. Well, and that's the problem, right? If he had simply said, I want a huge dragon, make it look copper, that would have been fine. There's mm -hmm. a million manufacturers out there that make huge scale dragons. But the D&D &D aesthetic is copper dragons look like this. Mm -hmm. That was the problem we faced, and that's the problem that we've run into. This does answer the question, though, um, that these dragons can be repainted to a high level. Mm -hmm. Like the detail, while not as deep as it could be, is not terrible. It's not on par with like some of the cheaper games out there that we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there essentially is the opportunity there. I wouldn't say uh, you could expect like a display quality out of those miniatures just be again because of limitations of the casting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they can definitely become a striking visual model. Yeah, for sure. Collection. So. And the attack wing figures actually are, are not bad. Like I like the scale of it quite a bit. It's it's true scale to D and D scale of twenty five mil. Mm -hmm. So, like, the Attack Wing set that we bought, um, we actually have all of those dragons left, the blue, the red, and the, we have another one of the coppers we bought for scale comparison um, because they released them in various sets. So we've got all those. So if someone wanted to requisition, let's say, Attack Wing repaint, we could do that. Mm -hmm. We could do that starting next month, really, because we have all of those in the house. They're ready to go. So if you're a Dune Truest who's been looking for a solution for your chromatic blue or red or your metallic copper dragon, We've got you covered. We can absolutely repaint those for you. Email us at info at wagnogames.com. Um, well, let's talk about some of our favorite dragon sculpts. Um, there's a lot of good artists out there making sculpts now. Um, dragons have really come a long way. They're not the, they don't have to be the traditional dragons that we know from our youth. Yeah. They can Everything can be varied from here, from how the spines are aligned, to horns, to the size of their maws, to the length of their, their noses, to everything. Um, and in fact, modern day dragons, like I looked on Philip's desk the other day and he was working on, um, what are they called? I think the Dragon King. Dragon King from King of Death. King yeah. of Death, which is definitely a dragon. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's, it's weird. certainly God, a weird, roided up dragon. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I love I love the basic idea of the dragon. It's pretty pretty evocative, um, and the scale in that game is it's massive. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What are your, what are your some of your guys' favorite modern day sculpts on dragons? I have a lot of favorite sculpts. Um, I mean, I love the Dragon King. We talked about this yesterday, but I know you're not as big a fan. I'm not a fan. I gotta say, I love the look of it. It's kind of 
it's I mean it's, it's a nightmare world. It's nightmarish looking. It's got this big ass smile on his face where his teeth. See the are smile like, is what looks... the smile is what kills me. Yeah. And the smile the looks like this. Teeth. It's these squared kind it's of human teeth. boxy well, yeah. teeth, and I just don't really like them. Well, it's, it's I mean it's a human essentially like a human in a dragon form. So I get they try that. To, they try to but... tie it together. Anyways, I love the Dragon King, but another uh, um, couple dragons that I've loved, like I've been following Carol Rudick for a while, and I've mentioned him a few times, but he's been designing his own dragons. Yeah. And I purchased the first one that he had. It was like a um, snake swamp-like mm-hmm. dragon, which is awesome. So it's like it's wrapped great. around the tower, right? Yeah, it's wrapped around like, this old like brick building that's falling apart, dilapidated yeah. and all that. Um, he's also done a Dark Elf one, and he's planning on doing a full range. Hopefully he gets enough support to continue doing so, but... Um, they're beautiful skulls. They're great. Yeah. yeah, he did a great job. Um, they're big. They're I mean, they're twenty eight mil scale, but they're probably I don't know larger so than thirty centimeters tall. Yeah, that's roughly. That's massive. That's the You know who else puts out dra- dragons at that scale that rarely get recognized? Is Gale Force Nine? They have a contract with Wizards of the Coast, so they've been releasing these really nice premium miniatures that I just don't think get the recognition they deserve. And they did a, a red dragon. A while about I don't know maybe a year ago they also did like an Orcus and several they did a huge a massive Demogorgon but they have like a beautiful um, dragon that's around the same size as Carol Rudick's piece maybe smaller maybe a little smaller but um, those are dragons that people just don't even I don't even I don't know what it is but I don't think Gale Force Nine is as well recognized as it used to be hmm. uh, maybe that's yeah. just me but I don't know maybe there's just so many other people coming out with Maybe. stuff too. Like we never get requisitions for those. We never have anyone say, hey, I got the Scale Force 9 piece. I'd like to have it painted. And I look at the quality of the pieces and I go, why not? Why are these not being commissioned? Like these yeah. are beautiful yeah, pieces. marketing properly. I but I'm not for sure. I think the one of the most impressive dragons I've seen um, to date is the one that's been pushed through Cool Mini. I'm not sure if it's made by Cool Mini. Um, Kong. The, I think it's like full title like Kong the Implacable. I did see that one. He is huge yeah. like i want to say he's about two feet tall roughly yeah. like he's a massive dragon it's like 300 dollars too like yeah he retails for the same he's, the price you would think he would yeah yeah but he's so big and he's like 28 millimeter scale you see like a little rider on him <laughs> this is this like little dwarf looking guy compared to the size i remember when he came out because when we were looking at models for alternate twilight figures that was one of the ones we looked at and the size was just too big it was just, oh, yeah. it was absurd. it's like a warlord type fantasy <laughs> I mean, but when you think about the size of like this, like yeah, it's in, in terms of the game where a typical figure is an inch tall, and this guy's two <laughs> feet tall. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. No, he's literally. I think he might be uh, about the size of yeah. a Warlord Titan from footprint, like top right. to bottom. Yeah, yeah. I think Omini is making another one, tell you the truth. Another um, Kong, um, or whatever he's called. The, um, the variation, or whatever. I, I think it's another variation, man. Yeah. Well, um, my God, <laughs> I'm. I'm, oh, I just saying. pulled. I just pulled it up on my phone because I don't. I don't remember the visual, and yeah, now I do. Oh my yeah. God! Now that is a dragon. In yeah. my opinion, that is a dragon yeah, for D and D scale. That's a scale of a red dragon. What a red dragon should be. I mean, D and D did release their own version of a colossal red, yeah. and I was a big fan of it. I, I liked it quite a bit. I owned it for several years until mm-hmm. times got tight and I sold it. But I was a huge fan of it. I loved the big plume of fire it came with. It was just great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who else makes a decent dragon in terms of the look? I don't know if I, I would speak to the quality of like the cast because I have issues with that. But the the look of it, Ultra Forge puts out a really nice dragon, um, and we're painting up a, a giant from them right now. 
um, which I, I actually really like the quality of their sculpts. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like sometimes the materials, sometimes they use kind of a, like a flimsier resin, or they did at this point, at one point. Because mm -hmm. I remember right. feeling one of the Slanish Demon Princes and feeling like I could have crushed her with my hand. She was so mm -hmm. flimsy. Yeah. Like I think it was just either thin material or hollow. I don't remember what it was. Mm. Um, but it was but the the dragon is gorgeous. It's a beautiful yeah. looking dragon, and it has like instead of like having a traditional saddle, it has kind of like a, a howdah. Like I can almost stand on like a parapet from a castle, mm. so I can almost like survey the battlefield rather than set passively. Cool. Yeah. It's really neat. Um, so I like that people borrow the, the they basically resculpt their dragons so that they're usable in games like. Warhammer or D and D, or, or they keep the scale and the use in mind. So, well, why don't we give people a couple tips for um, painting dragons? How about that? Because uh, dragons pose several unique challenges. Um, you've got not only one the hardened scales, which require you know basically dry brushing is a good solution yeah. there. But generally speaking, the underbelly's a different color. Um, then you've got horns and teeth to contend with. On top of that, if they have like a rage a raised ridge of spines on their back. You may want to mix that up a little bit. Right. Um, so there's just lots of different opportunities for color, for variation on those kind of things. So I don't know. Why don't we share a couple tips and techniques that we like? Well, um, one of the resources I would say is actually going to be the Monster Companion from the ND that you have a beautiful range. Even if you're not a fan and that you don't, that you're not going to adhere um, strictly adhere to the um, aesthetic and that particular dragon, it creates a good um, design basis to where you can work from. The palettes are just, good. Just yeah. the, the choices the they made where, were great. Where the logic, where you know, you know how, where they have the um, like, where they have the lighter parts of the body, where they have the darker parts of the body. So that's a good basis to start doing it. Um, I would say definitely take your time. Definitely take your mm -hmm. time. Dragons are not something you want to rush through. Uh, you know, there's no point of spending like. To three hundred dollars on a beautiful dragon model, and then just doing a crappy job on it. So definitely take your time. Um, so yeah, um, I think one of the big things too is the size of a dragon can just make it really difficult to paint, oh, yeah. um, if possible. Certainly by brush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, airbrush is a great tool, but if you really want to take it to high quality, you have to eventually go back in with the brush. Sure. And so if you're trying to pick out fine details and things with not dry brushing, but actually trying to pick out details with a normal brush, like it can be very difficult. So, um, I think one thing I might point out along those lines is that even though scales are rigid like fur and you can dry brush them, it doesn't mean you also shouldn't shadow them. Like there's nothing that stops you from, let's say, washing the scales down to create some shadow and then laying that dry and then go back in with a dry brush. So rather than have two layers of color, having three layers of color mm -hmm. um, or that kind of thing, like that can be a quick, simple solution for that, I think. And on top of that, if you like, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but um, I see a lot of times people will have a, the underbelly will be a contrasting color to the, the regular scales, mm -hmm. which I think is a great idea. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, on a red dragon, a lot of times I'll see yellow underbellies, which yeah, well, are, are beautiful. Like lighter. Yeah, lighter is a good opportunity there. Something more neutral, maybe, that's going to yeah. help draw your attention to the scales and stuff. But sure. What I was saying earlier, just like if you have the opportunity with larger figures, if you can um, do sub-assemblies... I know, like, Archaon, when we worked on him, um, there's ways to sub-assemble him so you can paint the wings separately as opposed to being all attached at once. So that's I generally advise trying to find ways to do that to make it easier. Um, but I would say in addition to that, and this really came through on the, on the Forest Dragon project you guys just did, on the Twilight project, the wings... Um, the in-between spaces of the wings, I don't know what they call that, the, the, membrane. the membrane. So you guys worked in a lot of rich... Uh, like 
it's a really nice blend of color. Like it, it blends very, very well and very, very smoothly from a darker color to the lighter colors at the absolute top. So this is a really good place where essentially the wings are a huge focal point of the dragon. Oh, yeah. So this, an easy solution is people will simply paint the in-between, the membrane, some sort of flat color and leave it there. It is absolutely not to be not the case. This is like... Because you have to work that right, out. Right, absolutely. It's just, just going to kill it. The wings are essentially an, they're an opportunity and they're, they're at least as visible as any other part of the dragon, if not more. Yeah. So spend some. if you're going to spend extra time on something, I would say the wings are definitely the place to spend that time on. Like allow that as a as an opportunity for like a contrasting color or to like warm it up or cool it down depending on what you're doing with the dragon. Yeah. Um, especially with like your metallic dragons, you guys worked in tons of colors in those membranes, like on the copper dragon. So that was a really good place where you could use certain colors as shadow and certain as highlight, and it just really was nice. Um, so I think focusing on the membranes is is a great way to go about it. Um, I would also say maybe um, when you think about like the horns and stuff like that uh, and the teeth and that kind of thing, you know, for me personally, you, you brought this up one day, I think Val made a good point about this, is that generally speaking, we look at bone and we think of bone as white, like yeah. bone is white, like it starts yellow, brown, whatever it works up to white, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you can you can mix that up a little bit. You can use those bony colors as a different color. For example, black. There's nothing that prevents you from, let's say, doing your claws or your talons in black having some fun with uh, kind of mixing it up a little bit there. Um, dragons are also a good opportunity for object source lighting, obviously. I mean, they all breathe different sort of I've weapons. Never, I've never seen actually a model that utilizes that unless it's a really? diorama. Unless it's a diorama where that's actually sculpted and built into it. Mm. I don't know how well, what I want to see. Some people do cinematic effects. Like I did well, that. Cinematic, yeah. Sure. Then uh, that could be great. Yeah. Like doing a red dragon amidst a bunch of gold and like fire around them. Sure. Be sweet. Pain in the ass, but sweet. I think another thing to point out is that dragons generally come on bigger bases. Yeah. So you have an opportunity to base there that you would not normally get on a traditional kind small of scenic, mini. Uh, yeah. Feature, yeah. We've been having a lot of fun recently with, with you guys have been doing a lot of like natural bases. So like rocks, woodlands, shrubbery, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it really kind of helps to set the environment for the dragon, I think. And it really helps to establish a total aesthetic as opposed to just a partial, mm -hmm. you know, like him setting on a black base, like as a traditional D&D mini. Here he is setting on a, a rich forest environment full of like color and life and you know whatever and mm -hmm. put moss on the rocks and do you know water here and uh, it's just an adding that little detail it's kind of creating almost a vignette from gaming piece but yeah I agree. it brings a lot more like the the Twilight Sisters uh, I wasn't actually a fan of how it was turning out until Philip finished off the base the whole thing just. Like that snap of a finger, everything just completed. It's like putting a frame on a painting. You know? Yeah, that's a good Sorry. way to look at it. Like, Sorry. essentially, it became the icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah, and that cake needed some icing. I get it. <laughs> 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 All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump back in with um, our one-minute rants for Gush, and we'll be right after this. Let's be honest. You'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. We're going to jump into our one-minute rant or gush tonight, where it's where we uh, normally just talk about something that we're excited about or something that is frustrating us recently. 
Um, I am going to start this one off, and I am just going to uh, rant a little bit about um, the IRS. Because I cannot figure out, <laughs> I cannot figure out my taxes. Like, um, I will. <laughs> the guys walked in earlier, so you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? Uh, the guys walked in earlier, and we're sitting there. Justin and I are going over numbers for the month, and like, I don't understand how this all works. But as a small business owner that is is has you know more and more expenses every every quarter, obviously as our business grows. Like, it just seems like the IRS keeps taking a bigger bite out of my budget. Like, it's just, I am just, I am really just, I don't really get it. And maybe it's because it's the time of year. Maybe it's because it's taxes. Maybe it's because I'm unfamiliar with it. But, man, it just seems like all of our hard-earned money just goes to paying for all this stuff that I don't agree with. Like building walls and shit. I didn't pay for that. Like, I'm not saying my money does go towards that, obviously. But I'm just saying that, like, I don't, I don't fully get it. Um, so that's all. I'm going to rant on that's it. If you, if you also are not liking your taxes, uh, welcome to the club. So. Tell, tell us about it. Yeah. Tell, tell us about it, please. It's that time of year. What about you guys? Do you have a rant or gush? Well, um, I actually wanted to just say, just talk about a little bit of, about Thousand Suns. I'm really excited about the book, Inferno, that's going to come out from Forgeworld. Sure. Thousand Suns Legion is finally going to get its rules. Cool. We're super excited about if the rules aren't is this good, a thirty? You mean thirty k rules? Thirty k. Okay. So they just the, they do have rules now. No, no, they do have the rules yeah. now for forty k. Sure. But if they if the thirty k rules are good, I might actually finally settle down on the legion because I would love to take the occult terminators and the rubric marines and just mix them up between the uh, prosper box. Mm, that's That'd a nice. great way to yeah. get that feel. I just don't see the thousand suns as a simple generic armor kit i never mm-hmm. did so they have all the, they they were small in the legion they have to be on eight and the rubric kit is just in my opinion perfect yeah mix in yeah. some of the acne and uh, upgrade sets from forge world and damn maybe that could be sweet. i don't think it would take much to create that aesthetic i think that what we've seen with the kf bits recently is that a few bits here and there well placed will really change the dynamic right. of a model yeah. it helps you that it's a small army yeah like, you don't need 50 rubric marines. No. You only need like 10. Well, if you, yeah, if you yeah. had... Like for, if you were going for a large, let's say... You, the game still you need a core of troops. Let's say between like 50 models, right? Which is not that much. Well, it is points-wise. I mean, we don't get into the points no, 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 side no. of the game very often. Right, right. No, what, I'm just talking about sure, just sure. the models, right? But two kits of rubric marines, you can switch them out between to cover like 60 models. Oh, 60 yeah, between troops. two kits of that and then like one Prospero box? You're okay. you got yeah, you got the whole thing that you need. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I the way GW's been doing that. That's great that you can kind of inter- mix all those kits together. They just work perfectly. So props to GW. They're doing really good. Yeah, yeah I mean, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just to agree. I just love to see what they've been doing. Like they, yeah. I love that they've it seemed that they care more about the community now than they used to. Oh and, yeah, um, I would agree. With that's grown. I mean, they're. I think they showed the most uh, profitable core they've had in a long time. So sure, it's clearly working. So, I also think that, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that some of the the uh, some of the aspects of the game have gotten not for everything. Obviously, there's a lot of expensive kits out there. But I, I recently picked up Gangs of Kimura just kind of on a lark. I was just like, that looks like a really good deal. I, I think it'd be a fun game for battle reports. You get a ton of stuff in that box set mm-hmm. for the $60 you pay for. Like, it's insane, the amount of models you get in there. It's like two the squads of Uber jet bikes. 
Yeah, it's lives. like I did the math on it, and it's a really good deal. Yeah. Something um, I don't know. I have a feeling with these recent box games, like the Flying, the Skyfire, or whatever the hell the, the game the game was. I feel like they're trying to get rid of their stock inventory. They're doing. I, I don't think you're wrong. Some because it just doesn't make sense. I think that either they're sitting on these kids they need to get rid of, and they just found a great way. Now I don't know the game how the game worked out. If the game is any good, the uh, game is a cool one, right? Well, the way but, I understand, uh, you actually get to build your gang. You get to like add different characters to it and stuff. It's not like it's. A I haven't read the rules. I haven't even cracked the box yet. I kind of, I literally picked mm-hmm. it up on a lark. Just that'll be fun. We'll do that later. Okay. Um, but you're right. I, I think that you're. I think. Well, I think you're both right. One, I think that I love the idea of the gang fighting on jet bikes. That's just fun. <laughs> but I also like this notion that, like, uh, I think that your your Val's right in that, that I think they are getting rid of old stock. Because I think that maybe the build, um, I recently picked up one of those. Um, so they've got these new boxes of stuff out there called Battle for Rothros or something. It's like, essentially, it's the GW Lite. It's the Snap type kits. Okay. The Battle Rebel. They partner oh, with right. Yeah. Val, that's the like Reach, uh, Reach. Reboxing. Right. Mm-hmm. So they made a ton of those models a lot, the right? and, the, and the orcs. So I got one of the war biker kits. They call it like the orc war biker blast a bike or some shit. Yeah. And um, I picked it up just kind of like as a. I was just like, oh, I'm building this war biker right now. I wonder if like I could at least harvest it for parts. Yeah. But the scale is so small that it's really kind of useless. And this the, and what's weird is they include a normal knob in the box. So you get a normal knob next to this, on this teeny, tiny, part tiny <laughs> and it's not like you're trying to mount the knob on the bike. It's like you get a knob and you get the Orc Warbiker, but I know that the Warbiker is scaled for Gorkamorka, not scaled for yeah, modern day 40K, tiny. which was way tiny, because we actually have some of those for sale in our store right now, yeah. and you can see the scale difference. They're tiny, tiny. So the only thing I can think of is why they would release this Warbike is they just got a bunch extra. Like they found a warehouse full of them, and they were like, you know what we should do? We should repackage these. Yeah. We should repackage these as like, get your dad to buy you this and you guys can paint it together. Um, <laughs> Which is actually a great because idea. Because the paints you get in the box, you get this like two or three little paints. But you don't even get, you get like a red, a black, and a gray. You don't even get a green. Really? <laughs> for, for the bike? For the, for orcs. For the orcs. <laughs> there was no green in the box. Well, you know, originally in the D&D setting, there was a type of orc that was gray. But so, not in the 4K yeah, setting. Traditional works are always seen as yeah. Anyway, so I'm just, I, it's, it's perplexing to me, and unfortunately the model is essentially unusable for, for modern yeah. 40K. Well, actually, if you yeah. remember well, at one time, the biker, I think this was like around 3rd edition, um, the 2nd edition bikes were packaged the a smaller scale, then somewhere, somewhere around there, Gorkamorka came out, they use the same scale. Models were a little bit different. There's like I remember wacky orcs with flipping sunglasses on. It was retarded. But and after a while, they got into the more modernized aesthetic for the orcs, mm-hmm. and they used those bikers as a base. But you would have to cut off the torso from the legs, and you would use the. There was a kit that had a metal torso basically. Mm-hmm. With the correct proportion. So sure. you have these tiny, tiny legs, huge torso, massive arms, and that's how you would build it. I think that's the round that you, 
that they're thinking of doing that. I guess, but it just because feels they weird a to me. Ton of those yeah. models for the second and uh, edition in Gorkamorka, and they were never popular. Well, never and the buggy is a good example of that too. I actually really like the I, little buggy they make, but the guys are so the small. Dorks in this thing. <laughs> like I'm a huge fan of the buggy, but you essentially have to gut the driver out to make it work. Yeah, um, but anyway. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. That's enough ranting and gushing, and we'll be right back after this. All right, that takes us into our outro. We are out of here for today. Um, this has been episode 44 here. There be dragons, and we hope you've enjoyed some of those tips and techniques on, on what, what... I mean, it was really more of a discussion about why we love them so much and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, you know, if you have questions about how to paint dragons, I guess you could always email us at info.webmetalgames.com, or better, hire us to paint your dragon. That would also be a great fit. We love them. We, I love always doing them. Um, and in fact, Reaper Bones has really made them accessible the last few years. Like, you can mm -hmm. buy dragons for dirt. And even though the, the sculpts, you know, the quality of the material notwithstanding, it's a great way to get a quick and dirty dragon on your D&D &D table for less than you would normally spend in materials if you bought, like, a pewter version of that dragon's $80, yeah. but the resin version is 14 Well, all right, for that amount of money, it's I think it's, yeah, it's a no-brainer for sure, quality notwithstanding. But next time on the show, we will be speaking with, um, well, we're not entirely for sure. We have two guests lined up for two different episodes. Uh, one of them is Meg Maples and her husband, Mark, with Arcane Paintworks. We touched base with them on, a, on a something uh, unrelated to the show a while ago. And we invited them to be on a show, and they've agreed. So we're going to interview them um, coming up in the next two weeks. And we've also been in... We've got Banshee. Yeah. The been... Alfonso Geraldus Banshee, the legendary. Yeah. Knowledge. So one of the nice things about Val is that Val knows all of these guys. He's got uh, <laughs> he's got the ends. So the goal is to have a, a nice little chat with him about art versus science of miniatures. Yeah. And, we're going to uh, be on a more advanced topic of yeah. what, is, what is actually art in miniature painting. Because... Yeah. You know, there is a division, obviously, so we're hoping, and this is a subject that Alfonso is great, at, one of the most perfect examples to talk to, uh, because Alfonso does come from an art, traditional classical art background. So, so he's an artist that uses miniatures as a artist. medium. Yeah, 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 same as a couple of other people that yeah. are great. So in any case, it is a topic that's brewing within the community, with, with them, and I think it would be a great talk yeah, for us to talk to. I agree. Right, so. I think at the very least, people will get something out of the discussion, even if they're, they're obviously like, I mean, I would never even dream about paying to his level, but I'm interested to hear what he says about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that there'll be something fun to gain from learning about. And at the very least, the more exposure this gets, the more it'll be nationally recognized as an artistic medium, absolutely. as opposed to a kid's game or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. If anything we can do to expose it is good. All right, well, that's it for this time. So next time we'll be either speaking with Banshee or uh, Marking Paintworks. But either way, it'll be a fun episode to listen to. So tune in in two weeks for that episode. Until then, my name is Caleb Dillon. I'm Bill Harmon. And I'm Val Mellick. Until then, put your minis where your mouth is.